Hey guys, just a few things before we get started. We recorded this episode on Halloween night. This was before Grant Morrison came out as non-binary. And I thought maybe as a respectful thing, I'd edit out some things of saying he and him and adding in they there instead. But I realized how crazy that was and uh, just left it as is. So try to take that the wrong way or anything like that. We didn't know at the time. Also, the audio was a little weird cell phones dropped out and died and had to get reconnected so i did my best to it seems like this is the story of this podcast from time to time i did my best to uh fix the audio it's way better than anything that you would hear from weapon x so sorry about that uh but hopefully you guys still enjoy thanks This is the dawning of the Age of Apocalypse, Age of Apocalypse, on the run, podcast. Hi, hello, how you doing? This is The Run, a comic book podcast about comic book runs be it characters creators or sagas i'm your host david boyce with me on this wonderful ghoulish night john the kovacs how are you well my back hurts but i'm good otherwise awesome why is your back hurt carrying all your dead weight what can i say oh dig foot <laughs> all right all right if you want to host this show fucking this is your pick fuck it <laughs> go ahead go ahead you're the host I don't know why my back hurts. I think it's stress. Stress. All right. And, as always, part two, the sequel with me, Christopher Boyce. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing good. My back also hurts. Why Why is everyone's back hurt? Because I was too busy humping your mom. Oh! No. <laughs> I usually don't. Yeah, I usually don't keep shame. <laughs> Uh, jokes, of course. Yeah, I just thought Jonathan was going to say it. Oh, <laughs> my back is fine, and oh. I'm doing well on this uh, Halloween night. We finished Age of the Apocalypse, and now we're doing our little one shot. We didn't really, we didn't, we didn't announce it at all. I believe we we talked about we were going to do Hitman next, but Jonathan picked the Grant Morrison and Dan Mora book. Klaus or Claus does it really matter how it's pronounced? I guess it has a K, it starts with a K. So, Jonathan, you recommended this book to us. Why uh, run us through this? Why 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 this book? What made this special to look at? Well, I, I just wanted to pick something a little bit different, something not mainstream. Um, I picked this up a couple years ago when it came out for a Grant Morrison book. It's one of the ones that's pretty straightforward, pretty easy to read, and pretty easy to understand. And uh, I really fell in love with Dan Mora's art after this. Um, he only draws, he draws a couple other Klaus, Klaus books, and then he does Once in the Future. And um, he's one of these artists I wish he would, uh, hopefully he gets more books because I really like his style. Um, it's just something I, you know, I don't know how many people know about it. You didn't. And mm-hmm. maybe some more of our readers. It, you know, more and more I've been reaching out you know, again, we're covering runs, and we're doing. We, you know, we did Marvel and DC stuff and Image stuff, and uh, anymore though, a lot of my reading is more 
independent things, and I just felt like trying to introduce our listeners to something that, something there that they might not know about. That's all. But how independent could it be when it's fucking Grant Morrison that wrote this? Granted, I didn't know about it. Well, not so much independent writers, but independent studios, because it's what Boom Studios. You know, writers are writers, but the fact is, Marvel and DC wasn't going to put this book out. You know, Image yeah. isn't going to put this book out. So there's a lot more. Again, you know, again, you're you're saying Grant Morrison. There's a lot more out there for people to read besides the run-of-the-mill superhero stuff. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, Dan Mora, I really enjoyed his art. It reminded me a lot of Tony Moore from The Walking Dead and Ghost Rider and Battle Pope and all that. I'd never heard of him, but I went to look up his work. Apparently, he's a boom slash DC guy. He did a few Marvel books, I believe Daredevil, but he's done a lot of the DC. He was involved with a lot of the DC Rebirth titles, I think. At least that's what I saw and read. But uh, he also did a lot of Power Rangers work as well. I don't read that, but I think you read that, didn't you? I was starting to. Um, and I wanted to pick up in trades, but for some reason, typically trades are cheaper than buying the books, and they make the Power Rangers stuff almost as expensive as buying the books. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. I, I did. I started to read it online, but it, it's it's interesting. It's a it's interesting uh, nostalgia book for anybody that's, that likes that stuff. I mean, that is probably in our wheelhouse for nostalgia. So, what did you, Chris? Since you never read it or heard about it either, what did you think about this before reading it? Like initial gut reaction. Well, it's. A retelling, or I don't even—I can't even say it's a retelling because it's a completely original story. But it's the origin of Santa Claus. So uh, immediately, my mind went to the uh, the claymation cartoons with like Kris Kringle and the heat miser <laughs> and everything. And I was just like, "All right, yeah, sure." Then I thought of the movie. Um, shit, I can't remember what it's called, but it's an animated movie about Santa where there's like a mailman that gets this town that's all shitty and. I believe it's on Disney or Netflix. So I'm just like, okay, that's, that's all well and good. And I went into this expecting nothing, but I was completely pleased with what I ended up reading. Yeah, it. I was honestly expecting some epic bacon Reddit bullshit. <laughs> because there's this movie that's coming out now. Couldn't tell you what the title is, but uh, Mel Gibson is in it, and he's hunting Santa Claus. And it's like, <laughs> like yeah, I mean, okay, it's a... Or maybe he is Santa Claus. I don't know, but he's involved with it. And I saw the trailer, Shane from The Shields in it. But yeah, it's just this kid got screwed over for being bad, I think. And, you know, some rich snob. So he just hires an assassin to take out Santa Claus. Will I watch it if it goes across TV or on Netflix or something? Yeah, probably. But I'm, I'm not going to go out of my way to watch something like that. It just, like I said, epic Reddit meme stuff. It's just like... When you told me the conceit of this, Jonathan, I just thought, oh boy, this is this is going to be something, all right. But then you said Grant Morrison, and then after the first issue, I was absolutely hooked. Even before the first issue was done, I was completely pleased reading this entire thing, unlike uh, the last stuff we read, which was what, New Age of Apocalypse. So I, um, I, I was a little hesitant at first because it's like, all right, it's Grant Morrison, besides like his X-Men and maybe happy he gets into some pretty fucking outlandish shit but this was super easy to read but he also got into that outlandish outlandish shit so it (laughs) checked that box yeah grant morrison i've talked about before jonathan hickman's one of those guys that's 
I can acknowledge is really good, but I'm too much of a dumb guy to understand it, and I need to reread it several times. Grant Morrison's also up there as well, especially after, I would say, Batman R.I.P. cemented that thought to me, because I still, I I mean, I haven't gone back and read it, but it still was completely confusing to me. When Claws smoked drugs or whatever he did in the first issue to heal after he got in an altercation... And all these like weird ass spirits came out of nowhere. I, was, I just started thinking, I was like, oh boy, here it comes. I need to reread these panels multiple times to comprehend what the hell is actually happening here. But it was pretty straightforward. And yeah, then the, the final panel from that where all these, t- he, he's like under the influence of drugs and being healed and makes all these toys was pretty straightforward, I would say. It wasn't one of those things where it's like, you'll find out what these spirits mean in issue eight or something like that, and you just remember that these exist. And It's, it's, uh, Grant Morrison has a lot of, like, really cool, like, fourth wall-breaking shit in his books, I feel. Like, the concept of time, for example, is essentially a comic book. It's all moments happening at the same time. It's just a matter of your perspective seeing it. And, uh, if you've ever read Super Gods, like, there's a a perfect part of that where like the guy's like ah like don't turn the page it's a trap and blah 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 and like breaks the fourth wall and I thought it was gonna get a little bit more trippy like that and it's kind of started to but it kept it low key enough not to confuse the shit out of you. So yeah, let's get into it. The book starts off with this guy. We're just gonna call him Claus. We're not gonna say this guy and explain it later. Claus, uh, soon to be Santa Claus, but we're just gonna say Claus. Um, hunting and bringing his fur pelts into this town of how's it pronounced Grimsvig Grimsvald or something like Grimsvig that, yeah. and he just wants to trade his pelts he's he's an out, outside man and he wants to trade his pelts with this town and have a beer wondering what the hell happened because he used to be a frequent patron into this place but it went from being this happy-go-lucky place to a doom and gloom place and he's asking too many questions and then the town guard kick him out essentially and leave him for dead especially as well as uh seeing that the kids are playing with rocks and they, they right away you have to think of all the themes of santa and christmas and the kids are playing with the rocks and they say no toys and they smack the rock out of the kids hands. so morrison's really putting it out there right away like understand the laws of christmas and these guys don't like christmas for some reason but yeah that's what we were talking about the smoke and the drugs after he's left for dead he does his little healing thing and under the influence of being healed he makes all these toys so after he sees those kids <laughs> what i thought this was really funny he was just he didn't want to enact revenge necessarily for the people that left him for dead. He wanted to have the kids be happy. He wanted to bring joy back because he essentially becomes Batman Santa. <laughs> and not in a very, like I said before, epic meme, cringy Reddit way. It's just he wants to give presents to these kids. And he has some history with this town as it becomes apparent later. And he just wants to bring happiness back. He doesn't like the doom and gloom of this place for some reason. So he's just... Sneaking around at night, dropping off presents at the door, just like the old uh, wooden shoes story back in the day. And then uh, when the guards catch on to that, he starts throwing them down the chimney, just like, you know, Santa would. Very clever but simple and effective ways to make this guy Santa, but also not do the, the classic Santa of, I'm super fat and here's my reindeer and stuff. He also has a pet wolf that he saved at one point in his life, which I thought was really cool. Instead of so reindeer. I thought that was cool. I thought that was cool, too, but I was expecting him to have, like, a reindeer or something. Yeah. And, you know, the wolf shows up and 
bails him out of some situations and bites or whatever. But I was like, totally expecting like a reindeer to start like goring fools or something. Yeah, I mean he Which gets. I would have been all for. Yeah, he gets the eight wolves later. I just think it's so fucking funny how. It, he he grapples around like Batman and sneaks around like Batman, knocks out some town guards. Yet all he wants to do is spread a little bit of joy, and not nece- he's not necessarily hip and keen to uh, the big baddie. I mean, he knows of the big he knows of the bad uh, Baron that runs the place, but he's not aware of the overwhelming evil that is under the castle. Unless I misread that. No, yeah, he was not anybody, aware of that. I don't think anybody's aware of that. Uh, of that basically is with the premises yeah just just lord magus knows who it is who is the uh baron of this place and has history with claws as well where we find out that claws is uh he used to be the captain of the guard there and then he was kicked out and framed for murder from the uh previous baron because the the baron now in charge lord magus made some deals with the devil so to speak or made some deals with krampus is that krampus the big baddie is krampus right it's definitely krampus yeah, the, yeah. It, they, they never they never use the name in the book, but when you read the I have the trade, and on the back of it it says it calls him Krampus. Yeah, I mean he, he looks it's, like it, and he he follows the lore where he has like the chains and he has the big sack that he's stuffing children into. So with this book, you you hear this well, you read this voice that's disembodied in the cave or whatever, and you know immediately your mind starts going to like all right, so it's probably like maybe the devil or just a demon or something. And I I was mad because the cover of issue five has Klaus standing there with what looks like a Krampus right behind him before you even see him in the comic book. So it kind of like spoiled its own book. Because um, I was like, ah, it's a Krampus. That makes so much sense. Like Christmas, of course. And it, it ended up happening later. Yeah, that, that cover was a little premature. Also, I mean... This book was also originally six issues, and it went out to become seven issues instead. So I think that may have been part of the problem with the uh, spoiler, a little bit premature. I, yeah, the, the storytelling, it, it's just, like you said, it's do-good or Batman basically just enacting revenge on the town by giving the kids toys and trying to make the kids happy because the Baron has basically just decided that Yuletide, Yuletide, Yuletide? Yuletide, that's... Is, yeah, that's their Christmas. That's what they call it. Is is you know nobody's supposed to be happy, so he makes all the men working in the in the mines, the coal mines, to basically uh, release the Krampus, you know, and nobody can ha- be happy or whatever. And the only person, the only kid that's supposed to have toys is uh, the Baron's son. Like they basically steal, like whenever, <laughs> like you mentioned, the the rocks, is, the kids are using them as toys, and the basically the guards steal the rocks. And we're going to give it to the Baron's son because he's the only one in the town that's supposed to have toys, you know. And, um, you know, it's just, yeah, it's it's just a simple do-gooder Batman trying to make the kids happy. On for it. The queen, uh, the Baron's wife, has history with Claus as well, apparently. Yeah, he loved her at one point, but then it fell through because the Baron placed a spell. He made a deal with Kramp- Krampus, essentially, to become the ruler and marry marry her and have all this power at the cost of his own humanity, I guess. I don't know. I think basically once he got framed for the murder of the previous Baron is whenever she, like, and he got kicked out of town. And I think they all thought he was dead. And then at that point, that's when the other Baron 
or uh, what's his name, the, the, the evil Baron basically did all that to try and get her to love him. Lord Magus, I believe. Lord Magus. I just reread this like yeah, eight hours funny, ago. Like when you read that and you're like, I mean, you, you know why, but it's like, yeah, you're, you're wondering why the Baron's wife is with him because she's attractive and supposedly a nice person. And he's just this asshole. And then you find out later on that he put a spell on her basically. And that's what he did. Yeah. They, they, they treat her very coldly. They treat each other very coldly. They don't say wife or husband. They, they, they talk to the son they say your mother, or she says your father. They never say my husband. It's, it was a little bit confusing there where it seemed like, Oh, is this just some keeper for the kid or something like that? I don't know. But you find out later on that he married her vis-a-vis a spell. Thanks to the Christmas Krampus. Is there really anything else you want to say before we wrap up the, the ending of the story? You guys? I mean, it's really straightforward, so. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I liked, like you said, uh, the one thing I thought was weird about it was that the winter spirits look like aliens to me. I thought that was weird artistic uh, choice. That's the only thing that was really bizarre about it, you know, to me. I, I don't, that was weird. Yeah, the winter spirits save his life because he's left for dead again, and that's when he becomes mega super-powered Santa Claus where he's essentially immortal we find out later and just he just becomes like Superman without the flight essentially he gets a badass LED crystal sleigh with eight wolves instead of reindeer and uh, he gets killed by Lord Magus by getting stabbed in the back and he just walks it off like it's no big deal <laughs> like eight panels later so it's just like, oh, so, Santa Claus is the Terminator now. I, like, I already liked the story at this point. I liked that he was, as you said, like this weird just joy-giving Batman and that his calling card was like a rune for joy. And it was just super cool. But when the Krampus comes out and it's it, – well, actually the Woodland Spirits, like you said, they look like aliens and stuff. So there's like some more – mystery behind like oh it's just magic it's like is it magic is it aliens is it whatever and then uh the part where he comes back with the sleigh that they gave him and krampus is there and i actually have it up here right now and he says uh a bright machine from the eight cornered orb forged of the rarest thought metals by the hated elders of my kinds that alone right there has no explanation but gives like so much like what the fuck are they talking about and the artwork for like the sleigh is all like pixelated and weird looking like instead of being all these smooth drawing lines and it makes it that much more alien and bizarre and just lends so much more to the story by lending virtually nothing and i'm all about that shit yeah it was not confusing whatsoever like it was it was just like, uh-huh, but it wasn't the usual, like, what the fuck am I looking at here? It's just like, all right, yeah, we'll roll with this. Yeah, fucking ruled. I expected that at that point Morrison was just on DMT when he was writing this, which, it, you know, wouldn't be far off, I guess. But, yeah, he also – he I mean, that's, that's really it. He saves the day. He beats Krampus. Lord Magus is gone. So, yeah, the, the Krampus is awesome. It's a great villain. Um, I personally – love the Krampus myth for a long time especially the movie with Adam Scott Krampus absolutely love it he just his lines are written so good and I like how he says like all the bad children belong to me and Klaus's Klaus's Claus Santa Claus is running at him he's like I say this there are no bad children it's drawn epically like Dan Mora made this amazing uh is absolutely stunning and he talks about i haven't uh you've made me want to laugh for the first time in too many years and he chops his head off in this epic splash panel with 
ho, 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 ho. <laughs> like, it yeah. doesn't get much fucking better than that, ladies and gentlemen. Been ruled. I really like right, right before that, though, that how, like, the Krampus uh, infected clauses slay and made it, like, evil. Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking sick. Yeah, it rules. The ending for this is they don't they don't get married, but they just rule together. Da- Lady Dagmar, she's the Baron's wife. I don't think we said her name till now. She takes over the kingdom, and they, she rules with Kloss, but I don't believe they get married. But it shows through the passage of time that she's getting older, and he's not. He doesn't age at all. He, uh, she passes away, and then he says, well, I'll be back every Yuletide season, the day of Yuletide, he says, because I guess Christmas isn't a thing because Jesus isn't a thing in this world, which I guess makes sense, whatever. But we all know what they're talking about. And his uh, the boy, Jonah, uh, her son says, well, what will you do in the meantime with the other 364 days? And he essentially winks at the camera and says, ah, I, I got stuff to do, which is, <laughs> which is a good way to end on. I mean, otherwise it's just going to be like, I'm going to be hanging out with a bunch of elves in the North pole, making toys, I guess, while smoking my space weed or whatever it is when I, uh, <laughs> make my toys. And then, yeah, I, I, I looked up at the wiki afterwards to see if there is any follow-up to this. And apparently it's a tradition for Morrison and Mora to uh, do a special every December with this character, which is kind of neat in a gimmicky way. Uh, there's four subsequent sequels now. Jonathan, you said there were either one-shots or two-issue minis or something like that? Something like that, yeah, I forget. They're in collected trades. Some of them are better than others, but... Actually, the best, the most recent, the one that I like the most is, um, I think it's like the Life and Times of Joe Christmas or something like that. And it's not, there's no words in it, but it's just splash panels, many pages it is, they just do splash pages of Santa Claus with this person named Joe Christmas. And it's like his snapshots of each year of his life. And it's a, re- it's a really good book. It, that Out of all of them, I, I like that one the best besides the first uh, miniseries. Here it is. Claus and the Witch of Winter. Claws and the Crisis in Xmasville, Claws and the Crying Snowman, and like you said, Claws and the Life and Times of Joe Christmas. And I guess a new one's going to come out this year, too. There's no title for it yet, though. So um, Yeah, like you said, they've been doing it annually where they release a, a one-shot. They do a one-shot annually in, in December. Yeah, I think I'm going to read these other ones, these other one-shots. And with December, what, a month and a half away, a month away, depending on how you want to count that, it's going to come out with the new one shot and i'm kind of excited to read that it's cool to have a tradition it's what the holidays yeah. are all about i guess yeah besides getting drunk looks like every night's a holiday for me <laughs> so i didn't get we didn't get too much into the details because like we said it's kind of a basic story for Grand morrison and it's kind of new yeah and and it is new i really don't want to spoil or well, i mean we did spoil but talk about the intricacies of the plot too much more or the details, but what would you guys rate this? I'd say it's a solid nine for me, honestly. All right, can't can't make you go a little bit higher. Ten out of ten. I mean, I don't know, but it's a it's a nine. I mean, it's, I really fell in love with Dan Moore's art after I was reading these, this book, and uh, like I said, I he draws Once in Future, which also comes out from Boom Studios, and that's a really good book. Um, it's a really different story. Uh, it's a take on King Arthur lore, um, which I really enjoy. It's Grant Morrison, so like I said, it's hit or miss. This one's just easy to read, but mm-hmm. Dan Moore makes it, his art was really refreshing for this book. So okay, nine out of ten for you, Chris. Uh, this one's going to get a solid ten for me. Um, this is going to be a book. If anyone asks me, like, hey, I want to read some 
comics and I haven't read them before other than like the obvious comic book starter pack of like, well, read Watchmen, you know, if you want to read something serious or read this Batman or this Spider-Man or this Avengers, whatever. Um, I'm definitely going to recommend Claws to people. When it, so, yeah, this one gets a 10 out of 10. Would recommend to everyone. However, on the power rankings of overall Santa Claus's stories, this is number two. Uh, number one is and always will be Santa's sleigh for me with Bill Goldberg. The movie from 2000, the horror movie from 2005 or whatever? Yes, the one that I've watched every Christmas for the last 13 years. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in a while. Uh, it's that free he's... on YouTube, and Shocking. I sent it to everyone on Christmas, and I'm going to do it again this year. So, well, I'll try to get Lauren to watch that with me. Yeah, I'm giving this a ten, a ten out of ten too. This was a delight. I could not stop reading it once. I read this book three times now. Uh, the first time was whatever a week ago, and then I read it at work this past week because I had some downtime and I just wanted to again. And then I read it again. And, uh, about eight hours before we recorded this and every single time never did I think it was a complete opposite of what I thought with New Age of Apocalypse where in New Age of Apocalypse I just thought oh god I just want this to end I just want this to end this complete opposite I was enamored with every panel nothing seemed like filler it was a very simple yet effective story and it was a very neat way of doing the Santa Claus mythos I guess if that's what you want to call it and with that our averages, shockingly enough, was a 9.6. This is a, this is also a book that I would easily recommend to someone over something like Watchmen or Dark Knight. I'd be like, yeah, go read Claws. It's actually really fucking good. I'm glad I made such a good impression on you guys with this book. <laughs> Dude, I was, I was so amazed at how good this book was. Like... People listening are like, no shit, it's Grant Morrison. But, like, I don't know, man. It, just, it was just a feel-good story all over. You know, it had the right amount of humor. It had the right amount of action. It had the right amount of drama. Just nothing overstayed its welcome. Oh, I do want to mention one other cool thing. When Claus first came in to give toys to the children, he threw a snowball on the roof of these guards. <laughs> and it slowly did a Looney Tunes ball of just getting bigger and bigger. So by the time he climbed up to the Castle Bastille Wall or whatever, and they saw him, the snowball has gotten so big that it just crushed them both. And I thought that was... uh Great comedic timing there. A lot of but stuff. It, yeah, he didn't kill them. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't kill, kill yeah, them. He, he turns the dude into a snowman later. He just does. He does. It's it's very much a superhero book without being a superhero, yeah. and that's incredible to me. Yeah. So yeah, nine point six, almost a perfect uh, book all around. Do we have? Do we want to do MVPs, WVPs? I mean, yes. I mean, I don't think I hated anyone in this book. The Baron's an asshole. Yeah, he's an asshole, but it's not like I hated. We hate him like we hated like uh, Gambit or anything like that. <laughs> you know, he was an effective villain. So, well, I mean, my MVP is just going to be Lily. Actually, his pet wolf because I love dogs, and Lily does some cool ass shit. We didn't talk about it. Like I said, I didn't want to spoil everything, but his companion, his Robin, I guess if that's what you want to call him, that's my MVP. Chris. Yeah, Claus was great, but I have to give the MVP to the Krampus. Uh, again, I was a little disappointed that the cover art spoiled it because it would have just been way more effective and powerful. Like, you know, ah, it's a demon or a devil or something. And then just realize, ah, it's Krampus. It's Christmas lore. If, if it would have been like heat miser or something, I would have shit my pants. <laughs> I think that might've been a legal problem there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a WVP at all? Olav. 
Who is Olav? We didn't talk about him at all. So Olav is when when Claus is doing his trickery and all the guards are on alert, they get Olav, who's a giant hulking strongest guard there is and claus dispatches him no problem obviously it's for comedic effect um so it's not like he sucks in a story standard uh, like from a story reading perspective but in universe what a fucking scrub <laughs> jonathan mvp uh, i'm gonna go with lily too <laughs> what a great dog we didn't even talk about lily and that's how great she, uh she is I mean, just the fact that they changed the lore, and then, they, like you said, they made, you know, his, it's, it's a wolf, and then his sleigh is pulled by wolves instead of deer, or reindeer is pretty awesome. It's just, it was a, such a neat change that they made a lot of things, is all. WMVP, though, is um, the first guard that he interacts with that hits the kid for playing with a rock. Because, I mean, first off, it's a rock, and if the kid has some imagination, he can make a rock a toy, and then he actually hits the kid about it because he's playing with a rock. That's just an asshole move. So he gets WMVP for me. Okay. Well, I think that's going to do it. Do you guys have anything else? Find other, any other final thoughts that we didn't talk about? I mean, we did, but we did just bring up Lily. So I didn't know if there's anything else we might have wanted to talk. This was a very clean cut book. Like, there's, I, I really don't think there's really too much more we could talk about without just you know repeating back words and plot lines and stuff. Yeah, I feel like if we talk about it too terribly much, it's just going to kind of spoil some moments and whatnot. And uh, I feel like I did most of the spoiling. But it's uh, like what Jonathan said with the guards, it makes the people there in the power so hateable and just like, fuck all these people. And the way Klaus, Klaus, goddamn, I really just can't settle on how you pronounce his name. I want to say Klaus, but it's obviously Santa Claus. Right. Right. It makes him being able to fight these people without going all dark and gritty and murdery that much more enjoyable. Okay. So yeah, definitely, definitely pick this up. I mean, we've we've been just gushing over this forever, but yeah, just about a perfect book all around. So yes, we we talked about last episode. We are, our next run is going to be Garth Ennis and John McRae's Hitman. However, we're going to read a few issues of The Demon which introduces Hitman first. The first episode is going to... might talk about Bloodlines a little. I'm not going to force us to read Bloodlines. I think there might be an annual... Well, Bloodlines was a crossover that happened in annuals, but we're not reading every single annual. That's just asinine. I don't know if you guys know anything about Bloodlines. It's not good, but we can talk about that on the next episode. Since this episode was a little bit short, I found yet another article from CBR.com. Oh, boy. (laughs) Why do you do this to yourself? Um, I hate myself, and I want to. <laughs> I, I, I just want to expound this misery upon you guys as well. You should have just transcribed. I was I was going to transcribe that horrible YouTube video that we watched, but I gave up on it because I was like, I I'd rather just sit around with my dog on my lap all day long than <laughs> listen to this crap. Okay. Well, the article is ten X Men that are surprisingly more powerful than Spider Man. Spider-Man is a powerful hero, but there are some X-Men that are actually stronger. Here are 10 surprising examples. And this is by Richard Keller. Uh, he wrote this a few months ago, May 4th, 2020. Um, do you guys want to take a guess real quick? Uh, who is stronger than, who's more powerful than Spider-Man? Surprisingly. That's, that's, that's the hook here. They're surprisingly more powerful. Surprisingly. I mean, there's already so many X-Men that are more powerful than Spider-Man. And yeah. I feel like he's going to... I feel like this dude's going to make a lot of obvious answers because Jean Grey. Is Jean Grey on this list? Because it's not be. surprising at all. She if, might if, be. If, 
you know anything about give X-Men, me three you know give Jean me grays give me three that you think three. would be on this list okay three that's going to be on this list i'm going to say uh gene gray i'm going to say Iceman, surprising and cyclops cyclops okay jonathan what about you three x-men that are surprisingly more powerful than spider-man well, I was going to say Iceman, but I'm not going to use him. Uh, I'll say Wolverine, Professor X, and Storm. Okay. So we're going to go through this and see how many of you guys got right. Okay. Because I know this list is going to be all like jobbers that he's just going to pick, and it's not going to be the main X-Men probably. Jobbers that are more it's... powerful than him? Well, they had to have been in the X-Men. It couldn't have been like some guy in the street. Well, he's not going to freaking put Leech in there and have him be power- <laughs> more powerful than Spider-Man. I mean, technically. He has skins on here. I'll scream. Okay, well, here we go. Spider-Man is one of the most powerful street-level fighters in the Marvel Universe. The radioactive spider that bit Peter Parker gave him superhuman strength, agility, and a spider sense that alerts him to danger. This guy's introduction fucking sucks. We all know this. I'm sorry. His intelligence provided him with an ability to create a formula that allows him to create webs. As per usual, Webster's Dictionary states Spider-Man is Spider-Man. And word count is being padded here. These powers work well with him on the streets of New York. It's a different story when he goes up against the merry mutants of the X-Men. There are several members of this team who have stronger abilities than our favorite wall crawler. For more information, here are 10 X-Men that are surprisingly more powerful than Spider-Man. Number 10, Kitty Pride. No matter if she's Sprite, leader of the Marauders, or simply Kitty Pride. Come on, man. Come on. This guy's just... What are alternate names for Kitty I can put on here to pad out word count? This X-Man has an advantage over Spidey. She can shift mass so she can phase through solid objects. This means walls, floors, machinery, and people. There's an advantage to this power Spidey doesn't have. She can truly surprise someone and quickly go on the offensive. Spider-Man can shock a villain by lowering himself from the ceiling, but he'll have to avoid bullets as the criminal quickly goes into defensive mode. On the other hand, Kitty's disruption is so shocking that the other person doesn't have time to react. This makes her attack more effective. Number nine. Jubilee. What Jubilee calls fireworks are more than what Spidey can do on his own. Her power is the distribution of plasmoid energy through her hands. Okay, fireworks is probably an easier term. (laughs) Jubilee can direct these energy bursts to create various shapes. Then she can cause them to explode at will. After losing and regaining her powers after M-Day, her fireworks are more powerful. The only way Spidey could do this is through a mechanical device. This isn't surprising. Well, also, she's not more powerful than Spider-Man. I mean, no. I mean, they're basing this off of his I'm, web shooters. They're basing her powers off of his web shooters in that final sentence. Yeah, that's, and her power is basically a gun, which Spider-Man is more powerful than a thug with a gun. But at the same time, she makes explosions from her hands, and that has to count for something. Yeah, but I mean, the, Kitty Pride. To comment on Kitty Pride, of course, like you can phase through and not only can she phase through stuff she can also increase her mass to make her stronger apparently and shit like this isn't it just pisses me off because it's not surprising and the way this guy writes i can tell he probably played a lot of D. why is that just because he talks about how the characters would interact against each other and they're fighting and whatnot i just i just feel that would be a, a very D trait to have that or he hangs out on the the comic vine message boards where uh who would win a fight X or X, and he just spends all day there. All right, number eight. You know, Look. Jubilee's powers don't work that way. Like, she's never had them where they just, like, ex- make explosions. That's called Boom Boom. Jubilee literally fires. She fires whatever. Like, her powers, have. they made her character, and they couldn't explain what it d- did. 
because they couldn't figure it out. And her, literally, all she shoots is fireworks, like the cartoon, and she's useless. Uh, excuse me. After she got her powers back from M Day, she's more Spider-Man. powerful. Spider-Man, like whatever. Well, actually. All right, number eight. Nightcrawler. Spider-Man and Nightcrawler have similar abilities. They can swing across various surfaces. Spidey does it through his web shooters. Nightcrawler can move about the air by wrapping his tail around various objects. On the other hand, Nightcrawler has one advantage. He can bamf from one place to another by teleporting through another dimension. In a race from Battery Park to Central Park in Manhattan, the X-Man would arrive much faster through teleportation than Spidey could by swinging across the skyscrapers. Well, no fucking shit. So, essentially, are you shocked that he's faster than Spider-Man? Are you shocked by teleportation? All right. Number Mm. seven. This one just... Physics. Hmm. Physics-based swinging versus instant teleportation. I can't possibly figure out what would be faster. Number seven. Now, this is a surprising person that is more powerful than Spider-Man. Colossus. (laughs) No, (laughs) jeez. Did this, did, this guy, did this fool forget the books where Spider-Man beat the Juggernaut? I mean, Spider-Man beat Fire Lord. It just depends on all right, who's writing them. But, I mean, on average, come on, man. Both Peter Rasputin and Peter Parker have similar strength abilities. The main difference is Spidey doesn't have to transform into an organic metal form to make it happen. However, that's what gives Colossus the edge. When he transforms, he gains height, weight, and density in a way he beca- becomes a hero similar in invulnerability to Superman. He can withstand falls from large heights, impacts large caliber bullets, and extreme temperatures. Furthermore, Colossus doesn't require food, water, or oxygen in his organic metal form, so he can survive in space where Spidey would quickly die. Shocking. So, Colossus has the edge on Spidey and not only strength, but surviving in outer space. You look so mad. You guys look so mad. (laughs) All right. I am mad. I mean, Colossus is historically a super strong person, yes. you know, and obviously has metal skin so he can take bullets to the face. Like, that's not surprising as opposed to, oh, I hope this cloth mask I'm wearing stops this bullet. Like, oh, of course it's not surprising. Fucking fools. Well, would you be surprised that the next person on this list who is also more powerful than Spider-Man is Rogue? <laughs> No, I wouldn't. As Webster's Dictionary states, when he was bitten by the spider, Peter was able to absorb its radiation to gain his superhuman capabilities. This is all the power he has absorbed in his lifetime. The X-Men name... Hold on. We've already said that these guys pad word count and do the Webster's Dictionary thing, but if you're on a comic book site, I would imagine that you have... If you click on this... You have a general understanding of who the X-Men and Spider-Man are. You don't need to post the wiki of what Spider-Man can do and his origins or anything like that. We we, we know. Um, unless something has changed recently, like, I don't know. Did you know Colossus also had the power of the Juggernaut for a while? Like, maybe something like that. Okay, I, I get it, but come on. We don't need to know that he was bitten by a radioactive spider. Everyone knows that. Um, even the fucking movie. The the homecoming didn't even go into that because everyone knew. So these characters are Shakespearean at this point. You know the original basic story of them, and you can just expand on that. You don't have to rehash this shit. We know Batman's parents got killed in an alley. We know Spider Man got bit by a spider. Uncle Ben, like everybody knows this shit. Right. The X Man named Rogue can absorb superhuman energy from another person by simply touching them with bare hands. 
This allows her to gain the abilities of other heroes. If she absorbed the powers of Spider-Man, she would gain strength, agility, and his warning mechanism. The first wouldn't be necessary. She already has superhuman strength in flight after absorbing Carol Danvers' powers decades ago. The other two would be an advantage. Number five. This is probably the only one that, if you're a casual reader, I guess this would be kind of shock or surprising. Cannonball. At first, Sam Guthrie's powers were not surprisingly more powerful than Spider-Man's. His main ability was the release of thermochemical energy, which allowed him to fly. He was faster than Spidey in many ways, but the web-slinger could get the most destinations through a well-placed set of webs. What makes Cannonball more powerful now is his ability to direct the thermochemical energy throughout his body. Also, the energy creates a blast field around Sam that protects him and others from bodily harm. Not a lot of people know that, I guess, like casual readers. That's why I was saying it's kind of surprising he's invincible when he's... When I'm blasting. Oh, I'll give the point to the writer for that. I wasn't aware that he had some kind of a field around him. I don't know Cannonball enough to know. I mean, I obviously know the character, but I would think that if he blasted at Spider-Man, Spider-Man's Spider-Sense would make him do a Matrix move and web his face into the ground and knock him out. So, right. sure, hats off if that's the case. Um, but at the same time, if he took a... I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'll agree with that one. That is surprising. Number four, Legion. While Spider-Man sometimes acts like he's crazy, no. When when has that happened? Maybe during the Clone Saga, but he wasn't. He was just being emo. Maybe he's referring to his constant jovial attitude in the face of danger. Uh, yeah, I think that's. I think, yeah, I think that's what it he means. Legion is actually off kilter. He has multiple personalities that surface when needed. This wouldn't make Legion more powerful if he wasn't a mutant. Since he's Charles Xavier's son, his condition makes him surprisingly more powerful. The reason... That doesn't, no, that doesn't make him more powerful. Anyway, go ahead. Actually, it does, so... No, it doesn't. He got his... <laughs> no, I'm just... His, I'm mutant just... Power is, his mutant power is not genetically inherent from his father being the strongest telepath. Anyway... The reason is each personality has its own mutant ability. Though he is already an Omega-level mutant with his ability to manipulate reality and time across the universe, the other personalities granted him other abilities. For instance, telepathy, pyrokinetics, and the power to transform into another person. With over 1,000 personalities, he is the most powerful mutant on the planet. How is that surprising? It's not. Yeah. It's not. This motherfucker literally made us read the Age of Apocalypse. Of course he's powerful. <laughs> Yeah, he, he caused it. He caused it. Number three. Here we go. How is Jubilee on this list? And oh my god, this list is horrible. Yeah, it's it's really bad. Number three, Iceman. If we were discussing Bobby Drake in the early days of the X Men, he wouldn't be more powerful than Spider Man. Back then, all he could do was ice up and create snowballs. As the years progressed. Iceman's improved his control over these powers. Today, Bobby can transform into an ice giant, create various structures and shields and regenerate parts of his body shattered in his ice form. If one of Spidey's arms is severed, he can't grow it back. However, Iceman could put ice on the area to slow the bleeding. That's That makes him more powerful than Spider-Man, I guess. But yeah, Chris, you called it, and I guess Jonathan, you did too. Yeah. I mean, Iceman is like, he's an Omega-level mutant now. Oh my god. Which I personally, I kind of fucking hate from a storytelling standpoint, is the Omega-level mutant, because it never... I think I think we Jonathan you touched on this before in a previous episode I could be mistaken that like it doesn't explain exactly what that means it's just other than powerful mute yeah it's yeah. Uh, threat level ten or whatever you want to call it yeah dragon if you are watching One Punch Man something like that threat level dragon number two 
Jean Grey. Look at that. Are you surprised Two. that Jean Grey is more powerful than Spider-Man? No. Fuck them. All right. Let's forego the fact that in her Phoenix form, Jean Grey is more powerful than most Marvel comic heroes. And forget her strange and comical ability to resurrect herself. As Marvel Girl, Jean Grey has already more was already more powerful than Spider-Man the first day she joined the X-Men. Though Spidey does have a form of precognition, he doesn't know where the threat is coming from. Jean would know about the threat, find the culprit, and shut them down before they made a move. She's so powerful that Professor X had to mute her abilities when she started at his school. In the end, Jean could take Peter down with a psychic blast. Are you surprised by this, guys? I thought Spider-Man could tell where the threat was coming from. Well, general direction. But he doesn't know, like, the person that did it. I, th- I think that's what he's implying. Like, he knows a gunshot's coming his way and get out of the way. She would know a gunshot is coming as well as who shot it and where they're hiding. Like how Spider-Man could dodge a bullet from behind him. Yes. If Jean didn't pick up the thoughts of somebody shooting at her and she didn't know the bullet was coming, she would get shot in the back, wouldn't she? Yeah, but... Where Spider-Man's spider sense would tell him and he'd be like, oh, gotta move. She has the power of a god, and he's implying that she would know where the source is and what the source looks like, essentially. Chris, That's what not how her powers work, even with the Phoenix Force, anyway. I'll say, in the context, uh, these, these are fictional characters, and it depends on who's writing them. And, yeah, for the most part, as Jonathan said, that's not exactly how her powers work. She has to consciously be thinking, so somebody's behind her with a gun. Unless they're writing her as a way where she can't help herself but go into people's brains. She wouldn't know that. So, Unless she walked around with like a PK shield around her all the time that would physically stop the bullets, possibly. But she doesn't do that, and it doesn't work that way. Regardless, no one's surprised that Jean Grey is more powerful than Spider-Man. And here we go. Number one, the most shocking and surprisingly most powerful X-Man... Uh, that could take out Spidey. Do you guys have any uh, last guesses? I mean, you already had three, but who do you think number one is? I'm double Marrow. Marrow's a good guess. Marrow's a good guess. Marrow's a great guess. Yeah. But this guy's obviously not good at writing this article, so I'm doubling down on Cyclops. Three for three. Let's go. Number one, Wolverine. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Jonathan called it. On the surface, Logan isn't as powerful as Spider-Man. Though he has metal claws that release from his hands, it's only years of practice that allows him to effectively use them in the end. It's what on the it's what's on the inside that counts. Wolverine's adamantium skeleton makes him somewhat invulnerable, plus he doesn't die when his throat is slashed or he's shot in the head. Instead, after a minute or so, he fully recovers. If someone shot Spidey in the head, there is an excellent chance he would not come back to life. And there you go. That was CBR.com's 10 X-Men that are surprisingly more powerful than Spider-Man. If Spider-Man had a metal lace skeleton, he probably would survive a headshot. Yeah, he does have a healing factor. Yeah, probably. Like we said, probably the only one that deserved to be on that list is Cannonball, because not too many people really know his powers too well. They just know he flies. No. No, Cannonball doesn't deserve to be on that list because he's not a Cannonball shoots at you. All you got to do is move five feet to the left, and he was like, "Oh, I missed! Oh, I'm gone!" In the villain one, I mean, Cannonball doesn't belong on the list. Mm. Well, Jubilee doesn't belong on that list. Um, Legion, okay. Kitty Pride, yeah, maybe, but Spider-Man could would be able to sense her phasing, so she couldn't stop him. Well, remember, this is this is surprising. This is surprising. I was say, yeah, you got to remember the context. It's surprisingly more powerful, and here's the problem: is 
these people are either obviously more powerful or not quite. Because, yeah, I don't agree with Jubilee or Cannonball. I think Spider-Man will have no problem with them. Learned about I don't agree with Colossus either. The only thing surprising about him is the fact that he can survive in space or underwater. Powerful, but... Didn't know about space, but I knew about the water. Of course, CBR articles suck. There's there's one I was thinking about reading, which is the sexiest, 15 most sexiest hulks, but that's more of a visual <laughs> thing. Yeah, the, the, the guy was super fucking horny for like a bunch of different She-Hulk variants. It's just like, come on, man. I thought this was supposed to be a respectable comic book site, but... It yeah. hasn't been for a long time. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of writers that are still good on there. Like, I, th- I think Brian Cronin writes good stuff, but for the most part, yeah, it's it's awful clickbait bullshit like this. Um, I only see the awful clickbait bullshit. So you say there's actually respectable writers and articles on there? Brian Cronin is a good writer on there. If you just, like, look for his stuff, he uh, did a long-standing series called Comic Book Legends Revealed where – he would write three different things of like a rumor that you would hear like John Byrne loves drinking cum. And then it would be like true or false <laughs> stuff. Like yeah. That. that comic book legend, comic book legend revealed is the only thing that is any good on there. And I want to say literally that site has, that no, site hasn't been good since they changed their format 10 years ago. Well, I also want to say for libel records, because you never know, John Byrne does not drink cum. That's just parody. So, and if he does, I don't care. That's fine. Let him drink cum. Let him drink that sweet, salty drink. Um, more power to him, I guess. So, yeah, that's it. Um, like we said, Hitman's going to be next. I'm excited. We're all excited. Uh, it'll be out in a couple weeks. We got new art coming for that, a new song, maybe another CBR article. Who knows? Uh, guys, until next time. Until next time. <laughs> yeah, that, that does, that's not... I guess I gotta write that backwards, don't I, huh? I guess, no, I, I mean, I was expecting you to say John Byrne drinks cum is the final <laughs> sign-off. Until next time, John Byrne definitely doesn't drink cum. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>